Good morning, everyone. Welcome to No Vision Internet Radio. Today is September 26th. Today's high will be 98. Yeah, I said that right, 98. And the low will be 66. So today we have the pleasure of speaking with Mr. Wesley Lawrence. He'd be a candidate for District 4. He had agreed to come on with us to talk about the, as you know, the format is we talk about uh, hot topics, the first hour, half hour, and then the second hour we have our guest. And talking about guests, next week's uh, guest will be uh, Julie Gutierrez. She's running for District 2. And uh, the second part of the show would be Oscar Leeser. We were supposed to have him last week, but it was my fault. Scheduling errors, I didn't pay attention. And so we have him next week, October 3rd. And then the following week, we'll have uh, Veronica Escobar. So good morning, gentlemen. How are you doing this morning? Doing great, George. How are you doing, Mr. Wesley? Doing great. So today, unfortunately, folks, we had uh, 214 new cases um, for the virus. <clears throat> it's going up, actually. Did you notice that, guys? The, the, the numbers are actually going back up. I don't know what happened. I guess Labor Day. But uh, they were in their, what, 50s and 60s. And now it's another, today is 214, 514 deaths. Or 515 deaths, I'm sorry. So, I mean, what do you, I, I think the contributing factor for the high number now is Labor Day. What do you say? Well, those, uh, those things are going to be going up and down, those, those uh, statistics, because, it, you know, the people going back to school, going to, you know, going indoors and, and, and grouping and all that stuff. So, I think it's going to get worse because of that. And they're saying that, uh, actually, in some, in some, um, States has actually gone up, and actually in Florida, I'm surprised that the governor yesterday announced that he can lift all restrictions regarding restu- uh, restaurants and bars. And and plus, uh, I don't know if you saw this too, uh, folks, that he's also going to suspend all fines. So in other words, all potential fines that were sitting before, he's going to go ahead and you know suspend those. So it's, it's back to back to 100% over there, and I I don't I'm, I don't know. I mean, as you as you as we both know, uh, the the numbers were pretty high in Florida. That's one of the well, highest just, numbers. So I don't know. I don't know why you did that. Just following the 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 orders of uh, his daddy uh, Trump, because you know Trump's been saying that that uh, we're we're rounding the corner, and yeah, we're rounding the corner at two hundred and uh, and, and four thousand dead. You know, and it's getting worse. I don't know this guy, and they follow whatever he's. You know his tendencies are they follow, and uh, it's too bad because they're killing their own people. You know the 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 state the state of Arizona is it's just not following and doing I mean, doing the best thing for their people. I mean, to me, it's just that <clears throat> I don't know being irresponsible regarding you know lifting all restrictions and suspending all fines. I mean, uh, what, what do you say? Was it coming from perspective of you know some of the running for city council? I mean, what do you? Do you think that it's okay now to go ahead and just sit back and relax, or is it, do we need to be more so stay, stay vigilant? Well, you know, I've been posting the coronavirus numbers on my Facebook page since day one. Um, and just for kicks, I looked at it yesterday, and it's almost a parallel um, on the response that we're taking as a local, a local city. You know, we're not funding uh, cluster research. We're not ensuring that El Pasoans are actually following the rules. Um, so it is a little scary to see these numbers jumping, um, jumping up suddenly. Like you said yesterday, it was about 250 cases that, that came on yesterday, um, probably because of Labor Day. You know, a lot of people that I saw, they were out. Um, but I also look at the parks. Um, when you go to a park now, they're always filled with people playing sports and 
Um, most people aren't wearing masks when they're watching the games. So it's a little scary when you go out there to really understand um, the gravity because people, I think for the most part, we're, we're taking this virus a little seriously uh, when it first happened. But now that it, we're in here, um, I think now a month five or six, um, people have really let their guard down and it's, it's not a good stance for anybody to be taking. I think we all have to continue to take this virus seriously. Wesley, uh, as as a you know person running for the for city council, do you do you agree or disagree that they should be fining the individual rather than the business because the businesses can afford to pay the fines, you know, and it doesn't affect them. Uh, but an individual, you find them two hundred dollars like you do a you know a traffic uh, ticket, and it affects them, you know, and I. I believe that that's what we should go to, finding them, you know, a high number of uh, an amount so that they, uh, because, you know, the, the businesses, they, it doesn't bother them. Yeah, and it's one of those things where it has to be a case-by-case -case basis. Um, sometimes it, it is the individual that needs to learn that, that they're making a mistake, that they're endangering our community, and sometimes the business, which is why I, I keep telling uh, the current representative and the mayor and anybody who will listen, it's, it's absolutely important that we start to fund um, COVID tracing here in El Paso. Um, of course, they, had, they say they always get a decision from a Republican attorney general who says that we're not allowed to do contact tracing, which isn't true. We're just not allowed to release names and ages and, and the gender of the individuals that is you know, testing positive in these cluster areas. Um, but we have to start taking this thing seriously. I said since day one that our local government has fumbled the ball on coronavirus testing and, and the coronavirus in general. Um, so we have a lot of work that needs to get done in order to really make sure our citizens are safe and that the coronavirus goes away um, as fast as possible. And you know, the thing about the, the schools reopening, that's one of the components that might lead to the spikes. The city, our EPISD had uh, asked for a waiver because of at that time, it was less than 5% or at 5% the infection rate. Now it's jumped up to 8. And I have a video I'm going to play here from KBIA so people don't know what I'm talking about. And so just give me a few seconds here, folks, to just listen to this uh, story and to see kind of, you know, where, we're, where, where we might be going with this, uh, with this virus regarding uh, the spike in infections and the second wave or if we're even past the first wave, to be honest with you. So Nick, go ahead and play this. Oh, well, what is the new return date? Well, the new in-classroom return date, Stephanie, is set for October 19th. I'm going to show you a graphic of exactly who it is that this affects. This return date is for students in pre-K to 2nd, 6th, and 9th, as well as special education. All remaining grades return on October 26th. Prior to this announcement, students pre-K to 9th were supposed to return on October 1st. EPISD announced today the return was being delayed due to the rising cases of COVID-19 in El Paso. Just as you heard Eric mention these uh, rising numbers a short while ago, positivity rate has been steadily rising to 8% since, uh, since September 24th. EPISD was using the 5% positivity rate benchmark to file for a waiver from the Texas Education Agency to open in-classroom instruction. Now TA is mandating EPISD open its doors by October 19th because of the increase in cases. I spoke to one parent who dropped off her ninth grader here at El Paso High School for a, high, for a football scrimmage game. She says she was hoping students would return sooner than October 19th. I would have expected them to go back sooner, but I'm, of course, I want all the administration and the teachers and the kids and everyone to be safe, but I'm really looking forward to, as soon as they can be back, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. 
Now we're going to continue talking to parents out here at El Paso High School because we see some parents that are dropping off students either for tennis or for that scrimmage football game that we're telling. So I mean, just you know, that's just letting you know, just here in El Paso. But we've been talking about me and Mr. Bautista about colleges; they're having issues. So I mean, I just don't think having kids going to school right now, in my opinion, now is just. It's because not only the kids, I mean, I understand the infection rate for kids is supposed to be a lot lower. Or the impact for two kids is supposed to be less uh, dramatic when it comes to adults. But however, the kids could transmit the, the disease to their, their abuelitas, their tios, their tias. And that's where that's where I'm concerned regarding, you know, the, the, the tracking. Like you were saying, Wesley, here in El Paso, even nationwide, we're not really tracking, for say, the virus. And I think that's where the the, the problem is. There's no real strategy. One of, things, one of the things, George, that that they don't, you know, we need to take into account: are special education kids. A lot of them are, in, in depending on the program that they're in, have severe problems, and you're yeah. going to infect them and and possibly even kill them, you know, by 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 um, bringing them in, into the schools and and bring, you know, because you don't know who's got the virus and who doesn't. And then, you know, they're they're saying that the younger kids have a a, a higher rate of uh, of uh, uh, transmitting the 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 virus to other people. So, to me, you know, we're, we're making a mistake by by trying to to have uh, the kids go back to face to face learning. But now, <clears throat> you got to look at it from the other standpoint that. Virtual learning is really not what we need. I know that people say, "Well, virtual learning you know, is good." It, it's not. We're not ready for. It. We're not prepared for it. The teachers are not really um, have never have not really been uh, uh, tested on it as far as you know years of experience with it. And and I see it even with my grandkids. You know, they they uh, the kids will will go ahead and and. I register they're, they're, that they're there in class, then they mute the program, and then they're out doing other stuff. You know, they're listening to music or they're playing around, and and the learning is well, not taking place. But for you, you know, Mr. And, for you, Mr. Bautista, I mean, I I got I got to take your comments to the heart because I mean, those who don't know, Mr. Bautista was a was a retired uh, teacher for over thirty years, and plus. Teaching and what he's saying is true about special education is that we have to understand that some of these youngins, the kiddos, have an intellectual disability where they don't feel it, fully understand not to to be six feet away, to leave a mask on, to wash your hands. They really don't comprehend the importance of that. And I think that's what Mr. Bautista was, was is saying, or he is saying that that we need to understand yep. that you know, yes, sir. And the technology, oh. George. The technology they don't the kids don't this in special ed uh i i have a my my grandson's uh mom is teaching in the in, in schools and she works with the special ed kids and she said they're, they're just frustrated because these kids cannot learn the technology uh as same way as the you know quote-unquote normal kids yeah no, i hear you i hear you so i mean just gotta keep you know like i said people just keep vigilant wash your hands you know Stay, stay. You know, those, keep those masks on because you know we don't. Keep, the mask is 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 your barrier. I mean, right now we don't have a vaccine until hopefully what maybe the end of the year, maybe the start of next year. But just have that that little something 
I'd rather have something than nothing, to be honest with you, right? I mean, and what do you think, Wesley? Do you, when you go out campaigning, do you wear masks? Obviously, yeah, but. Definitely. Whenever I go out to eat or I go out to talk to voters, I always make sure that I have my mask, um, that I have hand sanitizer, and that I even have extra masks just for people that, that don't have them. Um, you know, we have to have a piece of reality here. There are a lot of people in El Paso who don't have masks because they might be in a short supply or they just can't simply afford to buy one. And I know that sounds a little weird that they can't afford to buy one, but there's a lot of places in El Paso um, where they really have, I guess, capitalized, you could say, on masks, and they've made them almost impossible for low-income families to be able to afford multiple yeah. reusable masks. And, and, and you know, to online education, it, it's a scary scenario. Um, I have friends that have um, people, in uh, students in, in class right now, um, and they're looking at a computer screen for just about eight hours a day and I, I truly don't think that they're learning that way, but we have to have a, a reopening schedule and a reopening um, plan that is, is common sense and, and keeps our students safe. Exactly. Amen to that. Amen to that. Yeah. And talking about having a plan, uh, I'm going to segue into this. I hope it's a, hope it's a good segue. Uh, today, President Trump uh, is going <laughs> to announce his uh, nominee for, this, for, the, for the justice. Or his, um, I'm going to blank here. Chief for the justice. I'm blank. Whether it's justice, uh, but the thing is that a lot of people are saying that he should have waited to after the elections, which I agree because you don't want to rush this. You don't want to rush a nomination uh, process. Um, I think you have to vet the candidate, and I think uh, you know, rushing it because that's what that's less than what forty days. Uh, Wesley, for election? Yeah, it's a political thing, though, George. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's not to do with whether or not it's fair to do it that way for the Democrats, because if the Democrats win, then they don't want to leave the that that position open for the Democrats to to s submit it. So it's a political issue, and um, you know, it, it, it it's going to you know they're going to take care of it. The Democrats will take care of it. You know, and they could go ahead and submit their their candidate and then the democrats if they win the senate they can go ahead and say say you know what we want more three more supreme court justices and we're gonna put put them in well and they can you're right you're, you're right and the thing is so right now it's supposed to be the the rumor is and, and the news and it's amy coney barrett and i'm gonna go ahead and, so we could know who who she really is and and, and so just let go ahead and take this time to know who she is Amy Coney Barrett is President Trump's expected Supreme Court nominee. Here's what we know about her. The nomination of a Supreme Court justice is the most important decision an American president can make. Amy Coney Barrett is a federal judge who was previously a professor at Notre Dame University, is very much a favorite of social conservatives, of religious conservatives, and is somebody who the president was very interested reportedly in 2018 when he picked Brett Kavanaugh. What would we have in a Trump court? Who knows? <laughs> when Barrett was a federal judge nominee for the first time, her nomination was very controversial, specifically because of how Democrats talked about her religiosity. The conclusion one draws is that the dogma lives loudly within you. And that's of concern. Expect to see some of those arguments about the role of religion rehashed in her upcoming Senate confirmation hearing. As a judge today, when is it proper for a judge to put their religious views above applying the law? All of this is taking place in the context of a reversal from Republican senators, many of whom previously said that a Supreme Court justice should not be confirmed in an election year.
I want you to use my words against me. Barrett herself has been asked about this in the past. And it shouldn't be a surprise that the Senate is willing to push a president's nominees through in an election year when they share the same political affiliation. Every time there's a Supreme Court vacancy, it seems we're talking about what impact it might have on Roe v. Wade. In 2018, when Brett Kavanaugh was the pick, many Democrats worried that he would provide the decisive vote for overturning that precedent. That's certainly the case with Amy Coney Barrett, perhaps above all. She has weighed in on this over the years. Roe has been affirmed many times and survived many challenges in the court. And it's more than 40 years old, and it's clearly binding. At one point, she suggested that the Supreme Court was unlikely to overturn Roe, but that other decisions could be made that would curtail access or make it more difficult to obtain an abortion. I assume that you would be a no vote on Roe. Over the next few weeks, expect Democrats to drill down on exactly what kind of a justice Barrett would be in what could be a blockbuster confirmation hearing. have a interesting uh i guess uh no uh debate or not debate but discussion regarding what her thoughts are regarding uh, roe versus wade and then so i don't know i mean what do you both gentlemen think well i i think it's kind of kind of interesting you know you look at lindsey graham well, my, you look my opinion at, is that he's going uh, they they want go ahead go ahead go ahead wasn't it yeah, you know, you look at Lindsey Graham, who in 2015, uh, with the nomination of Mary Garland, said that we should never be putting up a Supreme Court justice this close to an election. At that time, it was eight weeks away from an election, um, and here we are within less than 40 days to an election, and they want to shove um, a new justice down our throats. I, I think that the people have power in this, and, and all these senators that are now going back on their words, like Lindsey Graham and uh, a couple of the other ones up there, I think they're going to lose big in, in November. And I, th I think the reason why Donald Trump's also shoving this down our throats is because he knows he's going to lose in November. Um, I mean, clear as day, I'm yep. sure he sees the polls every day, and he's going to try to leave his last legacy um, that he can. And if I was Donald Trump right now, I would be focused on his re-election campaign and not the Supreme Court. Let the next president um, decide that whether it's still Donald Trump, if he wins in November, or Joe Biden, um, that's the job of the president. It, it's, it's to ensure that our nation's safe. Um, but I agree with Mr. Batista, you know, the, the Democrats, if, if we win the Senate back, we're going to ensure that, that we have a, a fair Supreme Court. Right now, if, if uh, Amy gets confirmed, um, it'll be a supermajority of conservatives on the Supreme Court, which is bad for Roe versus Wade. And it's bad for, you know, civil rights and equality and inclusiveness in our nation. Um, so it has to be, be stopped as much as possible. But I, I think at the end of the day, we're, we're going to have what's right for our nation. And we just have to pray for that. Yep. And the and the thing too, George, is that you know the, the the Republicans who are behind Trump don't realize that a lot of them in their states they're the ones that are going to lose out because they want to do away with Obamacare, they want to do away with uh, women's rights, they want to do away with anything that Obama put up, and a lot, a lot of them are benefiting from that. They just don't realize it, and and we're going to have you know over twenty three million people. Uh, without insurance, yeah. I mean, and they're going to be included in there, you know. So I, I think that the, the Republicans are making a great mistake. However, you know, the, the Democrats can correct it by just adding an, adding three or four more uh, Supreme Court justices, you know.
I'm thinking about the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court justice that they're they're on there for life. So sometimes they're thirty. Like Miss uh, 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 Ginsburg, she was on there for what twenty seven years. Uh, she, she yeah. she's eighty seven, so she she really yeah, she was there. And, and then that's the thing that we need. You know, when 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 they nominate someone, it's, it's for a while. And the thing that Mr. Bautista, you kind of touched on this a little bit, and I want to mention this. Uh, people, you know, Democrats, Republicans, whatever, sometimes they're so blinded by their distaste for the other party, and and it's sometimes just just mean. And I'll, I'll tell you why, because yesterday I was seeing, uh, I think Ron Paul, that's the gentleman's name, he was a former yeah. uh, presidential candidate. He had, had a stroke. Well, that's what they're saying, speculating on Facebook Live. I saw the video, and people were like, oh, that's good. I hope he dies. And I'm like, this is a man. This is a man. Don't worry about. It's just so sad that people take that hatred so beyond where it's personal. I mean, just think about his, you know, think about his family and him. And, and I mean, just sad to see that. You know, I hope he dies. And it, I'm like, I, it's, it's gotten to the point now, folks. It's just ridiculous. You know, it's, look at it's, look at all the people that uh, that that Trump has caused, not necessarily directly, but indirectly. Look at all the thousands of people that he has caused to die. You, you can't, you can't, uh, you know, escape that, and you can't make excuses or for, for him that he he doesn't know any better or that well, you know, he he knows very well what he's doing, and yet, you know, he doesn't care about life. He doesn't care about people. All he cares about is himself. And the Republicans. Are enablers and they're just like him. And and as one lady said, look at all the gray hairs, all old people there that shouldn't be there anymore. They should be gone. And I, mean, I what do you think? I, I mean, Leslie, what, Leslie, what do you think about the the span of? Well, even let's just, just break it down to city council because you have two terms. Even the mayor have two terms. Do you think that? And I, I saw this yesterday. That's why I'm bringing this up. Should a city manager have a term or a limit? Well. <laughs> To be honest with you, I don't think we need a city manager. It's, it's too costly. But um, if we do, personally, I would much rather the city manager be an actual elected official if we do have to keep him. Um, because right now, time and time again, he has overstepped his bounds. Um, you know, his contract yes. was a little scary. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to, to read the entire thing from 2018. Um, but there's a lot of disparities that, you know, that he's been giving. And I, I think it has to do with the big money donors and the big money developers that Mm-hmm. Um, putting inside their pockets. So we have a lot of work that needs to get done. And, um, you know, a lot of people often campaign on holding the city manager accountable, but when they get into office, um, they become best friends. So it's, it's kind of weird um, to hear that rhetoric. I remember hearing it last election term. A lot of people are saying they're going to hold the city manager accountable. Yeah, these are all people that approved his contract, knowing that, you know, he still has not really done a good job for El Paso. He's raised mm-hmm. our taxes time and time again. He's, he's on a spending spree. Um, when it comes to these certificates of obligations, because he's the one that, that really shoves these things down our throats, and council approved it, obviously. But um, we have to make sure that we get a new contract coming up that that we really take a hard look at that, and we also have to ensure that um, you know everything that this council does is transparent. You know, I was really sad when I heard that they're not going to release its evaluations to the public. Um, often we we've heard because there's some embarrassing things in there, and they don't want the public to know. Um, how each city representative feels about the city manager, but it's it's our it's our, our representation. Mm-hmm. So they should. They're right. They yeah, should, and, they should be. And, yeah. and Wesley, the 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 other thing too is, I think the you got to put some blame on the mayor. The mayor, what what is he there for? And what in fact we should either we either have a manager or or a mayor because neither one in 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 our case right now is doing their job. Well, what's you know the mayor's not doing anything. 
We're making it worse, to be honest with you, you know. And you know what it, what it honestly, folks, at the end of the day, Mr. Bautista and Mr. Wesley, at the end of the day, it's, it comes to voting. It comes to voting that you know, we can sit here and complain all we want and, and gripe and this and that, but we don't go out there and vote. Like, just, you know, and matter of fact, uh, and uh, I have a story here about mail-in ballot because this is a big subject that's, that's you know, talked about now because of the, of the virus that a high percentage of voters are going to use that petition or that um, that petition, that uh, avenue to vote. But however, there are restrictions here in Texas. I didn't realize this until I saw the story. I want to play the story regarding mail-in ballots here in Texas. This is out of uh, I believe San Antonio. So let's go ahead and listen to this. Our election team coverage continues with the present debate over mail-in ballots. Some voters in Texas are confused about what exactly is allowed in our state. KETK's Cynthia McLaughlin has those answers. Our projections are somewhere in the 80 to 90 percent will still vote in person. In about nine states plus Washington, D.C., registered voters will be able to vote by mail with ballots mailed directly to them because of the pandemic. But Texas is not one of them. There's a big difference between the mass mail out voting that they're talking about that did not pass in Texas and at regular absentee ballots. McLean explains. The mass mail out voting, they were talking about sending ballots to everybody and then they would have to prove their identity when the ballots came back, but it's just you've got a lot of people on your list that don't live where you've got them at. Since this was not passed in the Lone Star State, the criteria for absentee voting stands. Young County Elections Administrator explains. Over 65 or disabled or out of the county during early voting times or in jail with your current voting rights. Um, so if you don't meet those criteria, we cannot send you a ballot. Sullivan continues. A disability is defined as someone who cannot enter a polling place without fear of uh, sickness or physical injury. And so um, if, if you put on your application that you want to vote by mail because of COVID, that application must be rejected and you will have to vote in person. Curbside voting is available in some counties, but check with your elections administrator to be sure. With Governor Abbott extending the early voting period by nearly a week, this should help some folks out. Cynthia McLaughlin, KETK News. Early voting begins October 13th. Election day is November 3rd. Because of the pandemic, voters will also have the option to bring their absentee ballot to the polling place on election day. Seems well, like the governor go. is yeah. concerned about... George, seems like the, the governor is concerned about... Uh, but the, uh, the Republicans, <laughs> so he's extending them another week. And, and, and the other thing, too, is, you know, I, I, I knew that, that uh, people with disabilities w would be able to, do, to vote by mail. But it's really unfair because uh, uh, with the COVID, everybody should have that, uh, that privilege or right, you know. Uh, you're, you're, you're sending them to go vote and possibly catch the COVID. You know, if you're, under, if you, if you're over 65, well, what about the, 60, the people... 60 and 55 they have to go you know yeah and, it, and by the way the curbside voting is 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 here in el paso it is in the county so if you do go to a voting booth or voting location you, you just can't access the location or you don't feel comfortable voting curbside is allowed and you like you mr wesley running for 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 office what do you see the benefits or not or or the disadvantages of not having mail-in ballots 
I mean, um, I mean like for everyone. Back in February, um, Democrats tried to push so that if, if COVID was something that was de- keeping you away from the polls, that you could vote by mail. But sadly, uh, the Republican Attorney General and Governor Abbott pushed really hard to stop that. Um, right now, it's kind of scary. Let me be honest with you. There is a report I saw the other day on uh, on both CNN and on Fox News um, that the chair of the Texas Republican Party, Alan West, is uh, said, well, number one, he censored the governor. Um, and number two, he's trying to stop the extended week on um, early voting because he says it's not up to par with the, the state constitution. That's not that's not true, but um, to each his own. And uh, I also saw a report yesterday that they're thinking about bringing straight party ticket um, voting back in order to make it so that the polls are move a little faster. I think it'll be a good thing to bring back. Um, but I, I think that Texas needs to follow the lead of other states that allows everyone to vote by mail, regardless yep. of age or if you have a disability, um, because it allows people to have their voices heard. For some people, they just don't have a time of day to go to a polling place, even during early voting, because there might be a line. Um, and then to understand that, you know, your, your boss does have to give you time off to go vote. Yeah. Uh, but it's one of those conversations most people don't like to have because they're, they're scared that they'll get some sort of repercussion from their boss or retaliation from their boss if they say, hey, you know, you have to let me go vote. Um, so it's, it is interesting to really, be, to really follow this as a, as a candidate. Um, and just as someone, you know, I, I did apply to, to vote by mail uh, in February just to experience it. So when the time was, did come, you know, and I was actually able to do it here in Texas, um, I'd be able to, but of course, like I said earlier, they, they stopped that with the, the coronavirus. Um, so it's, it's been interesting really to, to watch and, and to learn um, how all this, how the system works. Well, now that you know, we're talking about elections and whatnot, and, and that's the reason why we have Mr. Uh, Mr. Leslie Warrens here, Lawrence, to talk about his platform. So we're going to take a quick break, folks. As we come back, we're going to uh, talk to Wesley Lawrence, uh, talk about his platform, his experience. And whatnot. So just give us a little bit of time. You might want to just stretch your legs a little bit. But we'll be a short break. Short break. We'll be back. We're back here at No Vision Internet Radio. We are talking to Mr. Wesley Lawrence, District 4 candidate for November 3rd. Early voting is October 13th. What we do in this platform, we bring candidates and we showcase their platform. Uh, we don't endorse, so uh, um, we want to make sure that's clear because uh, we've had some comments regarding that. And uh, we just want to bring the platform forward, let uh, make you, the voter, make an educated decision, vote. And uh, with that being said, Mr. Lawrence, good morning, sir. Good morning, George. How's it going? Pretty good, sir. Uh, so, Mr. Lawrence did join us first part of the show, and so this time I want just people to just give everyone the background, sir, of of who you are and uh, why you wanted to run for city council. Absolutely. Like you said, George, my name is Wesley Lawrence, and I'm a born and raised El Pasoan, an Eagle Scout, a proud environmentalist who has been endorsed by the Rio Grande Sierra Club, an advocate for the people, and someone who will never abandon our city. You know, I decided to run for office because the rich keep getting richer and the poor keep getting poorer. 
I look at examples of mismanagement by our city um, that includes the Field Arena Project, which is which used eminent domain to kick people out of their homes for the sake of a multi-purpose arena and a ballot option that was that lied to people of El Paso. I look at the constant tax incentives for the rich, which has left us behind. I look at the, the exorbitant increase in taxes on small business owners and homeowners, which is forcing people to leave El Paso and the constant oversteps by the city manager. And it's clear as day to me that it's time that we end business as usual and that we start a, a heading in a new direction that focuses on transparency um, and a government that works with and for the people so that it's inclusive. I was just going to ask you, DeMargo had uh, said, stated that they will, they would build the arena. You know, it it didn't matter whether or not they they wanted it there or not that they would build it. What's the the situation with that right now? Well, as you know, the uh, the arena is in litigation, um, but it's important that we really bring the power back to the people. You know, I I think that our city government right now should be putting a they should have for this election put the arena back on the ballot and see where the people of El Paso sit. I, I think that most people, once they found out that people were getting kicked out of their homes for the sake of a multi-purpose arena uh, downtown, um, that they weren't for it. You know, most people do not know that that was not put on the ballot, that, that it be going in the Durangito area, that people would lose their homes and their livelihoods. Um, so I think it's important that we understand that this, this arena could have been built somewhere else. You know, they could have put it where Cohen Stadium is. Uh, they could have put it somewhere on the east or the west side, that open space for it to actually be uh, populous. Um, but I, I think what they did was they are trying to make money off of the hotel occupancy tax. Um, so that's the reason they put the arena there. So we'd have more people come into our hotels and uh, bring in a revenue into our city. Instead, I, I would have really told them at the time that they should be focusing on our convention center. When that was first built, um, that that was supposed to be the, the building that saved El Paso. And it's not even really a really good convention center. They, they can't even have conventions there um, for the, the size that we need. True. So that's the thing about the, the, you know, there's a lot of projects out there that people are saying, why are we funding it? We you know certificates of obligation, which is this current mayor is a big, big proponent of. And the thing is that we need to, uh, for, before I forget, those who are watching on Facebook, if you have a comment or a question for Mr. Lawrence, <clears throat> go ahead and comment on the comments and I'll go to, if it's appropriate, I'll go ahead and show it on the screen. The, re the reason I say it's appropriate because we want to be sure that we are, we're, we're being positive on the show. Um, and I'm, my thing is, uh, is not to, uh, uh, <clears throat> do a watcha or gotcha here. So if you have a comment or question, go ahead and comment. <clears throat> Excuse me. But going back to my, my comment, uh, Mr. Lawrence, is that I think people are just tired of, of the city council not being transparent. Uh, of not coming up to what they say they're, when they're campaigning. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And and so what's your main focus of, of when you're campaigning regarding the Northeast? Well, a couple of things that I always talk to uh, the voters about is transparency because it's something that I think is vitally important that we usher into our, our city hall. I talk about inclusivity because of right now in the Northeast um, and throughout the whole city, we have a lot of problems in our community um, with people not being treated with the respect that they deserve. You know, I look at examples in the Northeast where they have sidewalk and it just randomly stops and then they put sidewalk again, but nobody understands that, that sidewalk where, you know, if it was to continue, it'd be fine, but since there's a stop gap in there, it, it harms people that have, you know, that are wheelchair accessible or that use wheelchairs. It harms people that use walkers or even canes because if you're going from a, a sidewalk down to dirt and then back up to sidewalk, um, but we, we have a lot of work that needs to get done 
um, making sure that our community is ADA accessible and making sure that every El Pasoan is, is treated with the respect and dignity that they deserve. Uh, was the the uh, one of the other re guys that was running for representative Montes had indicated that one of the reasons that we the financially we don't have the money that that we should have to for road construction and and curve building and all that stuff is because uh, contractors are building homes on the east side and they're not required to ab absorb any of the the additional uh, costs like the the electric grid, the water, the sewer, uh, they, they just pay for the home and then the, the all of those expenses are incurred to the taxpayer. Uh, how do you feel about that and what can you do about that as a as a representative when you get elected? Yeah, you know, those, those waivers are very dangerous to our community, like you said, because if a developer comes in, they have these, these grand visions of, of, uh, of jury over there. And they, and they want to make sure that our, their development looks as nice as possible. But, you know, we've noticed time and time again um, that the taxpayer is always going to get the, uh, the brunt of everything because the developers, their, their biggest goal is, is to build. It's not to make sure that their, uh, their development's accessible. And as a city council, I, I think that every city rep should be fighting to ensure that every developer is accountable um, for their actions. You know, I, I think that when we have a new development, that it should be environmentally you know, safe to live there for one thing, but they should also be moving towards a better reliance on solar energy on these new developments um, so that we can take a little bit of stress off our power grid because we keep growing further and further out of the city, out of the city limits here in El Paso instead of focusing on smart growth, which builds up and instead of, uh, you know, left and right. But we do have a lot of work that needs to get done. We need to hold developers accountable. And if you notice, a lot of these developers that do get these waivers, they're usually developers that give money to political candidates. So it's no surprise in my mind that they're not being helped out. Um, I do have a comment, but it's not it's not what we're talking about right now. I just want to be fair. I just that was a comment from earlier. So, Mr. Wes, do you be fair? Uh, since I can't see, of course, and Mr. Baltista, can you go ahead and read this for us? For us? Absolutely. It says a uh, live viewer comment show up on Streamyard. This is an example. Click on a comment. To show oh, okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> so round one. <laughs> How about this one? Sorry about uh, that. So it's from Lida Cunningham, and she says, virtual learning is not perfect, but it is the best we can do other than sending kids to school to get the virus and spreading it. Okay. okay. I, and that's true. I, you know, that, I didn't want to post that because I just, you know, I want people to be engaged with us. And that's true what she said about the virtual learning. So going back to you, uh, Mr. Wesley. <clears throat> so originally, there were six candidates running for District 6, and now, or four, I'm sorry, now literally there's three i mean there's four but we're not going to go there but three <laughs> which is you wesley lawrence uh sissy bird which has been in our show she's a sweetheart and uh sam morgan uh and and those really that's only three candidates are fighting for the seat and so right now what can you say that kind of puts you apart from the other two candidates absolutely well right now there's that you actually left off the candidate george his name's joe molinar Oh, uh, Mr. Muller, you know what? And I do apologize because he's going to be on the show. I sincerely, I thought he was for districts, uh, another district. I do apologize. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. No problem. I, I just want to make sure people know. Um, I, I think what what separates me from uh, you know my opponents is that I actually do have a strong knowledge when it comes to policy. And, you know, a lot of people they hear me speak and they say, "How do you how do you know all this information? You're you're so young." I said, "Well, um, you know, local politics has been something that I've been following now for the last six years because it's important." It's, to me, 
I, I wish everybody would focus on local politics and then move up to state and the national um, because, you know, your city council really controls your everyday life. Um, you know, me and myself, I'm a very transparent individual and I've, I've been a lifelong El Pasman, so I, I can understand um, the issues that affect our community. Like in 2006, I think it was when we flooded, um, you know, the Northeast was, we, we didn't really have access to much flooding uh, mechanisms here in, in, in Northeast. So when it floods, when it floods, it really floods. You know that's why our streets in, in the Northeast have tons of potholes um, because there's no drainage really to get down to it. So we have a lot of work that needs to get done. And I've always told people every time I, I, I speak to them, I will be your champion. You know I'm going to work with for you. I'm going to make sure that you're involved in the process because at the end of the day, if I'm fortunate enough to be elected as your next representative, I, I'm, I'm not alone. I'm going to make sure I involve people in our community. I'm going to empower people that are on commissions in order to uh, help draft policy. I'm going to make a, a small business coalition here in the Northeast um, that makes sure that our, our small businesses are being taken care of because at the end of the day, let's be honest, they're, they're being abused right now uh, by the coronavirus and the city's not really offering any solutions on, on how to help them get back up and running. Sure. And a question that I have, Wesley, uh, as, a, as a city rep, um, when I was a civil service commissioner, I, I was one of the few p people that would, you know, show what I w was voting for and voting against or, you know, and uh, uh, the city's uh, representatives have the tendency that they don't, they want to hide what they, wh what they voted for. Uh, would you uh, indicate to us or promise us that you will, uh, you know, somehow uh, on your website indicate how you voted for what and why? A absolutely. You know, that's one of the things that I've, I've always talked to people, you know, at debates. That was one of the questions that was brought up the other day. Um, and it's like I said earlier, it's important that we have a transparent city that works with for everyone. I, I think that our votes should be made public and it should be, you know, pr pretty clear as day on how everyone votes. But I also think that we have to um, give our ethics commission just a little bit of teeth because there are some issues that city reps vote on um, that they should never be voting on because they have a conflict of interest to the donor. Um so we have a lot of work to get done. We do have a, a comment or a question there, uh, Mr. Uh, Wesley. I'm going to pull that. Sure thing. Uh, it's from Danny Zamora. How do you feel about defunding the police department? Um, <laughs> that's, that's a good question, Danny. Thank you. You know, when, when people talk about defunding the police, what they mean is reallocating funds. Um, so we have to really, I think, get officers and the community together to ensure how that money needs to be spent there, there are some issues that I, I can think of. I think that we have to spend more time on training uh, our officers just to make sure that there is not a, a, uh, a divisiveness between the community. But I also think we need to fund the CIT just a little bit more. I think the crisis intervention team does a lot of good work here in El Paso because it helps people with mental illnesses ensure that they're safe. And it also ensures that the officers are safe as well. Um, because let's be honest, right now in the state of Texas, the biggest proponent for mental health is the jail system. And I don't think that that's what we should be focusing on. I, I, think, I think that we should be helping our, our officers um, ensure that our, our community is safe, that they're safe. Um, but like I said, when it comes to defunding the police, it, it just simply means to reallocate funds. We're not here to abolish the police. It's one of those things that the community has to come together as a whole and uh, have this conversation. 
How, how, Wesley, how do you feel? Uh, I've been giving it a lot of thought. Uh, you know, we, we've got all these people getting killed throughout the country, and it's always blacks or or, or Hispanics or you know minorities uh, that are getting killed. Uh, simply, uh, my my feeling has always been that the the police are immune. They, they they might as well put a sign up there that says all policemen are immune of of all actions, because you know the the, the unions protect them. I mean, we've known of people who have, who have, the, the, the chiefs have uh, uh, have fired them or dismissed them or demoted them, and the union brings them right back to where they were. And and, and the thing is, uh, until they do away with this immune system, you know, that they, they're, they're just, not, they're not held accountable. It, all the training in the world and all the changes and all the money is not going to change that, that, that behavior. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, at the at, at the end of the day, it's not really just defunding the police. We we do have to look at, at policy. Um, so a couple of the things that I've brought up throughout the campaign trail is just making sure that we have a citizens review board with, with subpoena power, so that when an officer um, does uh, have an issue, that it, it's not just the union that's looking at it; it's actual citizens in our community that are looking at it um, and saying, "Well, you know, the officer may uh, may have or may not have done this." Um, and here's how we see it. But we also have to ensure that our district attorney's office, um, that we can have a, represent, a representative at the scene of a crime when there's officer misconduct. Um, but what we have to understand is this, and it's something that we really have to start uh, talking about. It's not, it's the, 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 the bad officers, they're, they're not even maybe 1% of a police force. It, it's very rare to find one. So what we have to do is we have to make sure that we're talking with the good officers and, and getting them to understand, look, we, we have to get these bad apples out of the police force because at the end of the day, the, the one bad officer that makes it on the news is the one bad officer that dictates to the community how our police force is acting. I uh, do have a comment. There's a comment. Let me see. Go ahead. What's that comment, Mr. Bo uh, Mr. Uh, from Danny Zamora, name one officer in El Paso who killed someone and got their job back. Well, let me, I, have to, I do have something to say about this because I, 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 I just think – we we can't brush one everyone with one. Uh, let me put it in my perspective where I coming from. For example, you can't brush like one person with a disability the same as everyone else. I know it's not the same context, but I'm trying to I guess draw an analogy. When it comes to the police department, uh, I know a lot of police officers personally, and and you know, that are in, in, in my family. But the thing is, I'm not going to defend that to say, oh, because it's just because of a relative, I'm going to defend it. But here in El Paso, I've seen where the police, in some aspects, have been good and have been bad. I have my experiences. And the thing is, is like you were saying, uh, we just can't say that because one officer, you know, everybody's bad. But at the same time, like Mr. Bautista was saying, we do have to have accountability on all levels, from elected officials to police officers to which they're public servants. We have to have that accountability where they, if something happens, that they're, they're, they're held accountable for their actions, not just a slap in the hand and just move forward. So I think, you know, we've got to put this, we can't compare apples to grapes or apples to oranges when we say someone killing someone and then when it's someone, you know, not being a, a good officer. Uh, and like, for example, Danny Signs, I'm not sure what happened with that story. Do you know, both gentlemen know about this story about that? He was a bodybuilder that, um, got shot in the back on the floor by a police officer when he was handcuffed. So I don't, I'm not sure whatever came out of that, but just an example of why people are frustrated when they say about the police being immune. I hear and, what Mr. And George, 
Well, one one other thing that that really uh, bothers me a lot is that you know here we are spending money on all kinds of uh, uh, projects that are not necessary, but we can't uh, we can't uh, um, give our officers, our general officers that are out in the streets, we can't give them cameras. Why are we not doing that? And I I suspect that the ch chief doesn't want them to to have. To, you know, for people to view what's going on, and that's that's not transparent. They need to have cameras. All of them have need to have cameras. Yeah, well, right now, Mr. Bautista, I think the issue with the body cams um, is the funding. I know right now our city council are trying to get with the the state and the federal government to uh, bring up funding. I know what they they usually talk about is so expensive is is the uh, the storage, not necessarily the camera itself, but it's the storage they have to have. Uh, according to the city, uh, massive frameware uh, hard drives in order to keep all that stuff, you know, backed up and all that. Well, so, you know what? Was, I, I, I have a comment on that, and, and, and not not directly towards you, but in general, Wesley. So please don't think I'm saying this to you. And I can't cut, I can't cut because we're on YouTube. But I'm going to say uh, funding. When they say funding, it's caca de toro, because uh, the reason I say that is you know what that means, right? Caca de toro. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. The reason I say that is because if the city is willing to spend X amount of, X amount of money on spray parts, a trolley, now mind you, the trolley was a grant. Yes, I understand that. The, the arena, all this stuff, a, a raise to the city manager. We can't afford, I mean, the city of El Paso has over close to 800,000 people. The city, I mean, they're small, that are real. They're small cities that have camps uh, for their officers, and El Paso can't. We need to be more progressive and say, you know what? We need to be a transparent uh, community where the police officers have cameras, not only to justify what they're doing, but to protect themselves too. Because there's a lot of allegations that you know someone wants to get off because they got upset because the cop gave a ticket. Oh, he did this to me, or he did that to me, or he says this. So it goes both ways. And when we're talking to Veronica Carvajal, we're saying that this would be a, a mitigator to for, for litigation regarding uh, money that's spent on litigation, folks. There's money being spent. But yet we don't have we don't have the brains to put cameras. And George, uh, as as we were talking to uh, a, a, a couple of other uh, representatives, there are grants grants for just that. And why aren't they seeking the, the, those monies? Because to me, it's 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 par apparent that they don't want the officers to to have those cams because then then they'd have to come, you know, prove. The, Prove themselves uh, to be uh, good officers, and another another thing that that goes with that uh, is that you know the the, the police department uh, they they get x number of of monies, and so they can budget for that, right? Can they budget for, for on their own for that? Correct. Or do they does it have to be a special grant from the city city just for that? No, they they they, uh, they for the most part the the police department controls the budget, so they they just have to allocate that that money towards you know body cams. Um, but George is absolutely right. You know we we do need body cams because it will save us money, just alone on litigation, um, because we do have issues here in our community where sometimes the the cop does make a mistake and, and we have to go through litigation to ensure that the family gets justice. Let me interrupt you just for just a second there, uh, uh, Wesley. Do you know, by chance, what amount of dollars we spent yearly on just litigation? You know, I, I don't off the top of my head, um, but I would imagine that it's probably 
five million, five million or more. I would well, 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 let me, let me, let me say this too. Uh, regarding litigation, it's not because cops are being bad. Let's make that straight, okay? When they say you know, every litigation is because the like, officer did something wrong, no. Like I was saying earlier, we need to protect both sides, uh, the suspect yep. and, uh, and the officer, because if a suspect knows that they're going to get in trouble, let's say, for example, they get caught with marijuana, for example, and they know that they're going to lose their job. You don't think they're going to do everything in their power to lie? Like, oh, that officer put it in my pocket, or that officer told me that, you know, so... That's what we mean when you say by litigation. We want to make it clear that 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 litigation in any, even when it comes to to uh, the private sector, is not because the company did bad. It's just because someone took the time to get a lawyer and I want to sue you because I want to make money. Especially you're a police officer, you work for the city. I want to make some 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 money. And, and right there, George, uh, the fact that you know just uh, Wesley just mentioned gave gave a you know ballpark uh, amount. Five million dollars would buy a hell of a lot of, of cameras for for police officers, would it? Well, Mr. Uh, Mr. Danny Samora has a comment. This is what I'm saying, or something. Sorry about that. Well, Mr. Zamora was saying, um, I can find it. Oh, here we go. Can you read that one, Mr. Uh, Mr. The, uh, the city took over one million dollars back from the police department's budget. What did you say? Uh, the city took back one million dollars from the police officers' uh, budget. Okay, oh, that's a lot of money. That's a that, lot of money, folks. It's a lot of money. Yeah. And there's another you know, comment I, here. I'm not anti anti police. In fact, I I I think that we've we've you know we've proven that this is one of the safest city in the in the country, which is something to be proud of. But and I'm not saying that I'm anti police. All I'm saying is we got to protect them and we got to protect the the the, the so-called victims but but the only way we can protect them is for for our police officers to, to be you know uh, to have uh, those uh, camps uh, uh, cameras on them so that they are protected and so that the, also the the defendants so-called uh, are, are protected and and that way you know the, it, I think it'll slow down crime too if if the people know I mean we haven't had I don't think we've had anybody shot in the back over here like we like they've had in in other states, but we don't want to have it. No, and I, there's one more comment. I do apologize for the folks. I just want to make sure that you know we are listening to the listeners, and I think Mr. Mr. Wesley's uh, appreciates that listening from the constituents. There's another comment here. I haven't read it yet. So what does this one say? Uh, it's from Danny Zamora. His <clears throat> uh, suits. That is not true about the chief. It's the server that is expensive. The chief one. Yeah, so he, he's just saying that the server is the expensive part of the uh, the body cams. He's correct. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, no matter what we say, guys, no, no yeah. matter what we say, it's up to city council, people like you, Mr. Wesley, you become on board to say, you know what, enough is enough. We need to be more transparent on all levels. Yeah. And like Mr. Bautista was saying, you know, it's not we're saying all police are bad, but just want to make sure that we protect ourselves in regards if there's, if something does happen, like Mr. Bautista was saying, when someone gets shot, that it might be questionable that we have a video that say, you know what, the, the officer was wrong or the suspect was wrong. Look what happened the other day in um, in Las Cruces. They had that man that was a, that attacked, that literally ran towards a police officer and, and attacked him. The officer didn't have a chance to put his mask on. And that's what I'm saying, folks, that we just want cameras in the long run. They cost money, yes. I understand the server to, to upload the cloud and whatnot. But at the end of the day, we will need to protect ourselves, which is the citizens, and 
the, 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 the police officers because the police officers play a crucial role in keeping our safety. And, and, I, and I'm not going to go in the soapbox what I want to yeah. say about the police officers because they're our defenders. So here we are. We, we, you know, we want to take money away from them. We want to, you know, F the cops. I mean, come on, folks. I mean, you, we have to put in perspective that the police officers, no matter if you're good or bad, when you're in a bind, someone's breaking into your house, who do you call? The janitor? Yeah. Who do you call? And, and one more thing uh, uh, there, George, before, uh, you know, before we leave the subject, I, I, want, I want the police department to not to, you know, I don't, I don't care for the department to be defunded. There's no such thing. They should be funded as well as possible. They just need to redirect the, the funding so that uh, you know, all the departments are, are at their, you know, at the high power, uh, uh, performance and and that way you know we we can't say well you know this sure. this section got this money and the, the other section that the reason that they're not doing so well is because they don't have that money i want all departments of the police to be uh funded and funded well sure very much so we're gonna go go to the subject because we could talk about this literally all day because this is a hot yeah. topic <laughs> yeah. so um so mr red one of the things that we talk to the client or to the customer to the to the customer i'm thinking about work to the guest <laughs> is is um property taxes right now in El Paso. I know people are probably tired of hearing this, you know, beating with a dead horse, but it's important because, like me and Mr. Bautista, we're homeowners, and we, you know, especially having uh, people with friends of ours that are elderly and have uh, disabilities that have limited income. So, how can you address that, Wesley, when it comes to the city of El Paso having the second highest property tax in the 50th, uh, 50 metropolitan cities in the nation? Absolutely, you know. Um, it's no surprise that with the certificates of obligations that we push through almost every other Tuesday, that our city has a high tax rate. But the first thing we have to do is we have to stop the use and abuse of certificates of obligations, which might I add, is it's not voter approved debt. But the reason that we use certificates of obligation that we're supposed to is for emergencies only. But, you know, we're seeing these fancy vanity projects that they're shoving out, like the, the spray parks, I think were funded with the CO. Um, and, and we have to really get the people involved in the process. You know, the city has a chime-in process every year um, that I've, I've been going to now for the past three years that is really informational um, because it allows you to tell the city how you want your, your money to be spent, um, what, what your priorities are as a district. And in the Northeast, our priorities this year were the same as last year, infrastructure, public health, and public safety. Um, so we, we have to bring the people into the situation. I, I've always told people, if, if I'm fortunate enough to get elected on the city council, uh, before I vote on a tax increase or a decrease, I want to make sure I talk to my constituents and see how they feel personally. Myself, this is just me speaking personally. I think it's time that we that we do have a, a tax decrease. I was really sad to see this year that the the mayor didn't talk to the governor to stop property valuation increases because that is a backdoor tax increase. Uh, if I'm being honest with you, um, but we we have a lot of work that that needs to get done, and we're going to get it done by working with the people not just as elected officials, um, but as El Paso. Sure. We have something to say, Mr. Bolsonaro? Yeah, I was, no, I was just going to ask uh, uh, Wesley, you know, uh, one of the, my concerns has always been that uh, people run for, for city reps with little or no background on economics, you know, how, how budgets or uh, how do you feel, uh, you know, what, what, how, um, what do you bring to the city uh, as far as the uh, you know knowledge of the the budget or how how you know how does 
you know, split the monies in into the departments and et cetera? Well, uh, <clears throat> I, I think I bring a fresh perspective. You know, I might not have the experience managing multi-million dollar companies, but I do have the experience of, of managing my own budget. Um, and I, I think that when city representatives go in there, that's that's the type of uh, rationale they should be they should be thinking of. That well, you know, me myself, if I have a, a million dollars to live on, I'm clearly not going to spend a 1.2 million dollars on a, on a project that we don't need. Um, so we we have to make sure that we're doing things the right way. I think when it comes to our budget. I think that what we should be doing every year is doing it line item by line item because it gives the, each city representative their voice and it gives the people their voice. Um, like right now, we, we, it was just, I think, two um, agenda items for the, the budget, but it should be line item by line item because it gives the, the public a chance to chime in and, and, and speak up at city council meetings and say, hey, you know, we, we don't need to pay for this $1.4 million spray park, but what we need to do is we need to fix our streets. Um, so let's put more money towards fixing our streets or more money towards um, putting in green infrastructure that, that, that slows flooding down and um, ensures that our streets are taken care of. So that, that's just one of the things I would say. We need someone who has a fresh perspective and a listening ear and will actually champion the wants and needs of the people. So we're coming up to the 12 o'clock. You're listening to No Vision Internet Radio uh, podcast. We do, we're speaking to Mr. Wesley Lawrence, candidate for District 4. And before we leave, Mr. Wesley, uh, what can you say to all the listeners, the voters, regarding when they go to the ballot to pick you? Absolutely. Like like George said, my name is Wesley Lawrence. I'm going to be number 209 on the ballot. Um, so there's going to be a lot of rooting that's involved to, to actually vote this year. Um, but we have to vote for local candidates. If, if we're going to go out and vote at all, we have to vote for our president, our senator, our congressman. But we have to make sure that we... We vote for local candidates because, like I said earlier, they're the people that dictate our day-to-day life. They're the people that raise or lower your taxes. They're the people that that champion your wants and needs. They take care of our streets, our maintenance of our streets, um, and they make sure that your voices are being heard. In regards to myself, I'm running on transparency because I believe that the people matter. My slogan's the Northeast for the people. Um, Because for far too long, we've given way too much money to the big money developers. And it's time that we start giving tax incentives to the everyday El Pasoan who's lived here for 10 or more years or even to small businesses to help them stay afloat and actually give them the tools to succeed. I want to build a small business office at the city level. I want to build a small business commission uh, so that we can work with our small businesses to really get them so that they're, they're successful and that the policy that we make as a, as a city council benefits small businesses. We have a lot of work that needs to get done in, in terms of taxes. We have to stop the use and abuse of certificates of obligations so that we can start spending the money that we have in a real-time um, capacity. Um, but we also have to stop with these vanity projects, these disastrous pet projects that cost the taxpayers millions and millions of dollars that we don't even have to begin with. Uh, if you want change this November, I, I can really use your support. Um, like George said earlier, October 13th to the 30th is early voting. If, if you could display a yard sign, if you live in District 4, that'd be great. Um, yesterday, I w- or two days ago, I was just endorsed by the LGBTQ Victory Fund because I have an inclusive uh, platform that works with and for the people. And I look forward to meeting each and every one of you on the campaign trail. Thank you. And before we leave, do you have any, uh, if someone wants to donate or, or, or volunteer for your campaign, I know we've been putting the, I hope, the Facebook uh, on your on the bottom of the ticker and the Instagram and I just realized I didn't put your website, but your website is, what is your website there, Mr. Wesley? Yeah, my website is www.wesley4district4, and that's 
F-O-R-D-I-S-T-R-I-C-T and the number four.com. If, if you want to volunteer or donate to the, to the campaign, you can go to our website or you can even go to, to facebook.com, send us a message, um, and then we'd be willing to talk to you. And you will pay your employees. Well, anyway, Mr. Bautista, do you have any uh, comment for Mr. Just want to thank uh, Wesley for, for appearing on our show. Uh, uh, I hope uh, I wish him the best, and I hope his listeners uh, in the district, uh, in his district, are listening to what he has to say. And and um, I wish him the best. And thank you for you being here, And uh, for those who want to listen to our past episodes, uh, we can always subscribe to the No Vision Internet Radio podcast on any uh, uh, podcast app on your phone or. If you're just at home, you're cleaning, you want to listen to it, just say, uh, hey, Alexa, play No Vision Internet Radio Podcast, and they'll play it. So it's as simple as that. So, Mr. Wesley, I appreciate you coming on, my friend. I wish you very luck. Um, next week, we're going to have uh, Oscar Leeser and Ms. Julia Gutierrez. And I hope to see everyone next week. And Mr. Bautista and Mr. Wesley, I will say bye and see you later. Yeah, thank you, George. Thank you, Mr. Bautista. Bye. Adios. Thank you. Bye-bye.